welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's the latest in the days of our baseball lives? Well, we're about to tell you. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stanfield, Adam Azer, Chris Towers, and Scott White here on a hump day, June 17th. And I want to jump right in with both feet. Right before we started the show, we got some breaking news. Sound the alarms. John Heyman tweeted MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred and Player Union Chief Tony Clark had what's being called as a productive meeting face-to-face in Arizona. Meeting was called at Manfred's request. Ooh, face-to-face in Arizona, no less. I hope they were wearing masks. Me too. (laughs) Is that our biggest takeaway? Um, Honestly, I wouldn't blame you if it was. (laughs) Just why, why, after this many weeks, had they not already met in Face to face. I mean, that. Well, are, are, is it implying that they haven't? Well, the answer to that question is that the Major League Baseball team owners want a short season. And that's just they've they've like that's the that's the long and short of it. Let's not mm-hmm. let's not uh again a, a, if if they have to play pay fully prorated salaries. I think they were hoping that they wouldn't have to. And right, that, but this that was always gone. Right, this was always there. Like this was their kind of trump card uh, to make sure that they didn't have to pay more than X number of games was because they uh, they didn't want to, and so they would either get a longer schedule with short with less pay, you know, or get a shorter schedule. I think they they want to pay fifty seven games, no matter how many games are played, and so whether it's fifty seven games that are played or eighty games that are played or one hundred and ten, we could have had all of those. Now, not so much. So is Manfred going rogue here? Is he, uh, is he departing from the owners a, a little bit? I, I read something from Ken Rosenthal this morning that I don't know. I it wasn't. It was kind of. It was kind of hard to tell how much reporting was in the actual column because it was almost like he was writing, uh, like omnisciently about what's going on in Rob Manfred's head, but he seemed to indicate Rob Manfred is finally realizing he's going to have to, he's going to have to, um, you know, not just do what his bosses want. Either way, it's probably not going to be a great ending for Rob Manfred. (laughs) I think that's uh, (laughs) uh, probably the route that we're going down here, but Hey, we've updated you on everything that's happened so far to this point, every proposal, every leaked rumor. So, why stop now? We'll continue to give you any news, breaking news, tweets, whatever is coming out uh, regarding this situation. Seems positive, but like we say every day, we've said that before. Today on the show, we are going to give you a little bit of everything. Some redraft, some dynasty. We have some ADP combos. We're going to look at Scott's top 100 starting pitcher ranks for dynasty leagues. Before that, just want to make sure everyone's all right. Everything going well, fellas? How you doing? Good. Stressed. I'm stressed. One of your uh, one of your ADP combo questions is really bothering me. I don't know how I feel. It's very tough. They all really, really bother good. me. I thought they were all really tough. <laughs> so. I had 
I have a, a general rule of thumb that I use to to answer these, and I'll tell you when we get to them. But one of them in particular involves catchers, and I'm just sweating it out. Can't can't figure out how I feel about it. I've got, probably got like another half hour to figure it out. All right, well, let's jump right in. Maybe you don't have as much time as you thought. Oh, Adam. we're starting with that. Okay. Yeah, wow. we're going right into ADP combo. So uh, get ready. Here we go. Would you rather have in a head-to-head points league? You have the fifth or sixth overall pick, Garrett Cole. And Austin Meadows, so first and a fourth round pick, or Mookie Betts and Luis Castillo. So either way, you get one starting pitcher, one outfielder. What do you guys think? Uh, first up, I would just like to say Pizzeria Pretzel is the number one ADP among combos. And <laughs> no. for me, given the you know the research that we talked about yesterday, I think the answer kind of has to be Garrett Cole and Austin Meadows. Now I'm, tru- now I'm Googling best trouble- combos. It doesn't trouble you that you're eating pizza-flavored paste? <laughs> it's the Combos are... I mean, I go on this rant every time we do ADB combos. Combos are one of the worst snacks ever created. When was the last time you have not had a combo in 10 I have, years? I have a bag of combos Get in the kitchen right now. <laughs> I eat combos regularly, Adam. I really I was, enjoy I was not them. expecting that. Really- you weren't expecting, like, of all the dirtbag food opinions that I've had... <laughs> That's you're shocked that I like combos. I'm not surprised that you like them. I'm surprised that you actually eat them because I didn't think anybody still ate them. I don't even see uh, them. I don't see them on shelves anywhere. In like, fairness, I, I'm going on a tiny road trip this weekend, and that's my road. That's my driving snack when we're on a long drive. Okay, you, they you can are find gross. them in convenience stores, right? You can find like everything. You can find zero bars in convenience stores. Watch them call it. Watch them call it is fantastic. great. Yeah, great. Candy. Top five candy bar. Uh, mm. We need to see more of it. Take five is the best candy. Go nah. Oh, take five is really good. Big fan there, Adam. Like that. Big fan (laughs) of any salty sweet combinations. While we're at it, Nutrageous, if you've ever had it, is a great candy bar as well. Reese's Reese's Fast Break. Fast Break is very good. Combos are good, man. They're kind of gross, but they are good. Disgusting. (laughs) They're they're gross. (laughs) You don't want to think about them too hard. A lot of snack. But you just eat them, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, think about a jelly bean. I don't eat those either. Think about raisins. Ugh. Flavored sugar Stop gel it. coated in <laughs> other flavored sugar. All right, we're already off and the rails. Raisins, raisins are disgusting. I'll take Garrett Cole and Austin Meadows also, Frank. You know, I did the math in case anyone's interested. If you use points per game last year, Cole and Meadows destroy um, wow. Betts and Castillo. Now that's based on the hitters playing 155 games and the pitchers making 32 starts. And Cole like, side, w- yeah. Was Meadows worse than bets last yeah, year half oh, yeah. a point per game bet worse okay um but if you use bets and cole in 2018 but stick with castillo and meadows in 2019 which i kind of think is fair to be honest i'm not going to use castillo and meadows in 2018 nobody's drafting them based on what they did in 2018 but if you go with mookie bets and cole in eight in 2018 and meadows and castillo in 2019 the bet side actually wins big because Mookie Betts averaged 4.7 points per game and Garrett Cole, and he averaged four points per game in 2019. Garrett Cole, he was great both years, but last year he probably was, was like too good to be true. 22.5 points per game. The year before he was the number seven starter in, uh, in fantasy and he averaged 18.8 points per game. He didn't have quite as many innings as the other guys up there, but I'm no. still going to take, uh, I'm still going to take the Cole and Meadows side. I think it probably makes more sense to compare 2019 Cole to 2018 bets. Both career. Both were 
Okay, that's a good point. Both were like the they're the best version of them. But I, 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 yeah, I think it, it's Cole and Meadows, and for me, it's because you know the hitters maintain their value further down the draft board. You know, that's basically the, the way I look at it. Is a fourth round hitter historically has been a better investment than a fourth round pitcher, whereas a first round pitcher has generally been roughly equivalent to a first round hitter. I feel like you guys aren't pained enough doing this because I, I have, you know, my head says as, as somebody listening to my own advice, it should be bets and Castillo. And yet, and yet I feel kind of the same way you guys do. Like I, I, my gut says Cole and Meadows. And if that's true, if you're telling me that if I take Cole ahead of bets in round one, I'm still going to be able to get Meadows in round four. That probably means I need to take Cole ahead of bets in round one, right? Is that, is, is that what this ADP combo is saying, Frank? I would say, especially in a head-to-head points league, I think that makes sense because we do put more stress on the elite starting pitcher in that format. Well, I guess this year in general, we are stressing, or at least I was, uh, elite starting pitching. But I would say in a head-to-head points format, yeah, I mean, that would make sense to take. If you know that you can get Meadows in the fourth, why wouldn't you take Garrett Cole in the first round over Mookie Betts? I'll yeah, also add, I, I mean, I, with Mookie Betts, I mean, he was he had a down year last year, and he averaged yeah. four fantasy points per game. He was tied for the yeah. seventh best hitter in baseball. Like, right. That's a down yeah, year for Mookie Betts. He's a lot better. Betts, best, and even a down year for him, like you said, is still a lot better than Meadows, presumably his best. So maybe... Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to the gap there, and maybe I should just trust my head rather than my gut. I, I mean, I rank them right next to each other, Bets and Cole. I think I bets fourth and Cole fifth in a points league. So, Who do you rank higher, uh, Meadows or Castillo? I rank uh, Castillo higher. I'm sure I do. However... Like if if you were if maybe it's just because of the way I feel about Castillo in particular, I feel like he's a little riskier. And if you put like Patrick Corbin in his place, but maybe Patrick Corbin wouldn't be possible according to ADP. I don't know. Would it be possible? Is anybody happy to know? So no, I'm looking really. at Scott's head-to-head top 300, and Luis Castillo is 27th, and Austin Meadows is 52nd. Ooh. So that's a pretty big disparity. Yeah, Frank, I got to tell you something. What do you got? Before you pose this question, Cole and Meadows versus Betts and Castillo, I probably would have said I want Betts ahead of Cole and I want Castillo ahead of Meadows. So how on earth am I going to take the Cole-Meadows combo over Betts? <laughs> exactly. No, but everyone is saying it. that. I think I have to move Cole ahead of Betts. I think I'm. I think Garrett Cole is my third player in off the board in points leagues. I think for me it comes down to, and we haven't talked about him enough, at least while I've been here, is Austin Meadows. I mean, why don't we talk really about good. him more? 3.5 fantasy points per game last year. That was the same amount as Bryce Harper, yet he goes 20 picks later. He really just had one bad month. It was June, where he was kind of banged up that month. He did not hit a home run. He had a 573 OPS. The first two months, he had an OPS over 1,100. From July through September, he had 21 home runs with a 959 OPS. But why are we not talking about Austin Meadows more than we are? It's a small, it's a small sample size. You know, it I mean, is it's a, a whole season. season. It's yeah. a one season sample size, but it's a huge outlier. But for he had the pedigree. His career, especially, 
so he was a guy who had pedigree, but not production, you know, especially, you know, if I'm remembering correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, especially once he got to double A AA and triple A, his production really wasn't very good. He was someone we were talking about, you know, when he was getting called up last year as a two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 2018. Sorry. Um, as someone who, you know, we weren't sure if he was going to be an impact fantasy player. We weren't sure he was going to be a fantasy starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on what he had done in the high minors. And so, you know, I, I think there is still some question about how sure we should be that he's a high-level player. But, you know, based on what he did last season, based on his age, um, there is a ton to like about him. It's uh, – I, I, that's what – you know, that's why I'm, I'm pretty confident going with Colin Meadows, and it doesn't really bother me that much because I th- – you know, I do think Meadows in either points, but especially Roto, uh, you know, does have the potential to be a second round caliber player. I mean, there's a chance that we've seen this before where players just become better once they get to the big leagues, right? Like yeah. Francisco Lindor stands out in my mind, was not really uh, regarded as a as a great offensive player. And, and then he was. So it seems like we're all pretty much on board with uh, Cole and Austin Meadows across the board. Let's move on to the next one. Would you rather have... Patrick Corbin and Nelson Cruz. This is your little uh, utility debate here. Patrick Corbin and Nelson Cruz or Jordan Alvarez and Trevor Bauer in a Roto League? This one actually isn't even a, a debate for me. Easiest one, right? This yeah, is this one's one. Corbin and, and Cruz. Like, the most likely outcome is Cruz is better than Alvarez, right? I want to go that far, but you know, if you're just trusting in track record, I guess I but can like, understand like, why you'd say Cruz, that. Cruz was better last year, right? If Ooh, someone has that. I don't know. Just Cruz based on like, OPS? I'm pretty sure Cruz was like the seventh best hitter in, in fantasy last year in, in Roto, at least. Well, he, Alvarez didn't play nearly as much, right? He played 87. Okay, OPS, Alvarez was 1067. I don't think Cruz was quite there, but man, it was close. Let's see. I think Cruz was 1,000 on the dot. 1031. 1031. Um, it was... A career high season for Cruz at age 38. Um, sure. So it's hard to take ser- like I have an easier time taking what Jordan Alvarez did seriously than I do even Cruz. So per game, uh, in Roto, you know, put them on the same amount of playing time. Cruz was the eighth best hitter in fantasy. Alvarez was the twelfth best. Yeah, this is an easy one though. Corbin to me is such an upgrade from Bauer. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Like Cruz, Alvarez, more or less equal. I do like Alvarez more, but Corbin, in, in terms of trustworthiness, is so far ahead of Bauer. Right. That's what it is. Yeah, it's tr- I, trustworthiness. I, that just highlights how good of a value Nelson Cruz is. That's exactly what I wanted to do, and I will never stop doing it. <laughs> good for you, Frank. <laughs> Until he retires. Even right. if you had to give us the easiest ADB combo ever to make your point. Good job. Hey man, I wanted to uh, I wanted to pair similar players up against each other, and uh, no, it, was, it makes sense. It was a good Nelson one. Cruz and Jordan Alvarez are that to me. All right, you teased it, Adam. You now get your wish, and we'll start with you because I know that you have a uh, a very interesting answer to this question. Would you rather have JT Realmuto and Zach Gallen or Chris Paddock and Mitch Garver? He is struggling. I know you like Corbin. I don't know how you feel about these catchers, though. You mean Paddock? Uh, Paddock, yes. Excuse me. How do I feel about these catchers? I think JT, JT Realmuto is better than what we saw last year. And I think Garver is worse than what we saw last year, but he was the best catcher on a per-game basis 
by far last year. I'm going to take Paddock and Garver. Barely. Yeah, I think the upside is higher for Paddock and Garver. Oh. Actually. Oh. Oh. It's- Oh. <laughs> what? Oh. oh, breaking news. John Heyman just tweeted breaking MLB and players union are closing in on an agreement to play the 2020 season via players. Deal expected to be for prorated pay and include expanded playoffs as part of the pending agreement to play the 2020 season between MLB and the players union. The agree- union has agreed to waive any grievance. Yeah. Wow. Wait, Big so news. Chris, who do you want? JT Real Muto and uh, no, I'm t- <laughs> All right, that's actually. Uh, by uh, the way, that one—that's another easy one for me. Massive I don't think news Chris Paddock's here. that much better than Zach Allen, and I think JT Romut is a lot better than Mitch Garver. There's no—I haven't seen anything on the amount of games so far, and there's a lot of people reporting this. Uh, it seems like John Heyman was the first one to report this news. MLB and Players Union are closing in on the agreement. Other people are confirming it now. Jeff Passan tweeted about it. Well, okay. <laughs> Joel Sherman, there's not even a deal in principle between MLB and PA, but one involved person said with Manfred Clark meeting face-to-face, the rhetoric portion of the program is over and the real negotiations have begun. Uh, MLB just sent MLB PA a new proposal. There's no agreement, not even in principle. That's Bill Shaken of the Los Angeles Times. Doesn't mean there won't be and the two sides are talking, but no deal yet. So let's just, who would you rather have? Shane Bieber and Josh Allison? <laughs> so All right, wait, look, so I mean, I... John Heyman is the... Yeah the most plugged in reporter in major league baseball. If he's not the most, he's one B to Ken Rosenthal. So, you know, I think, um, what about Jeff Passan? Yeah. He's an up and comer. Okay. All right. You know, he is an uh, up and comer. No, it's a, <laughs> yeah. It, it, Heyman's the only person right now saying an agreement has been reached or closing in on an agreement to play the 2020 season, which I guess nobody's refuting. Closing in on an agreement is not. It's vague language. Yeah. Yes. But this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that there's anything that we can actually do until we see more parameters based on the amount of games, you know, how serious this is because we're getting conflicting reports right now live while we're doing the podcast. So um, that is the breaking news. Baseball seems like it's happening. Baseball seems like it's happening which is a complete 180 from where we were at Monday where, you know, Rob Manfred was pretty much going back on his word saying he didn't know if we were going to have a baseball season. So for those listening and watching on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel, the news is getting better. We're getting closer. And if anything comes out while we are doing the show, then uh, we will 100% talk about it. But did everyone give their answer regarding this? JT Real Muto and Zach Gallen versus Chris Paddock and Mitch Garver? I feel like Paddock and Garver actually has more more upside, and I think that's the one I'd prefer. I'd rather, I'd rather, if there's a position I'd rather weaken myself at, take a bigger risk at, it's catcher versus starting pitcher. So I would prefer Paddock over Gallon for that reason. But, but like it's one of those situations where, if you're not totally sh- like I happen to see Garver as a great value where he goes can't be totally sure you're going to get him if the price is right on Real Muto. So it doesn't necessarily mean I'm 100% passing up Real Muto based on that answer. There's only so many catchers capable of doing what either of those guys are capable of doing. Yeah, for me, I just, I'm, I'm lower on Paddock than the consensus, I think. Or at the very least, I have more questions about whether he can truly be an ace. It seems like a lot of people are just, like, he is an ace now, and, you know, the the ERA last season and the whip especially certainly suggest it, but 
there are red flags in his profile that I think are sort of being overlooked. Um, and, you know, he's a two-pitch pitcher. And that's a, that's a hard thing to be. Um, yeah, I find it interesting, Chris, that last year, Chris Paddock was kind of everyone's breakout darling throughout the spring. And now this year, that's Zach Gallen. Aren't we kind of hoping that Zach Gallen does what Chris Paddock did last year? Zach Gallen did what Chris Paddock did last year. He just didn't do it in as many innings at the major right. league level. But, you know, the difference between the two of them, you know, Gallon had a higher whip. Again, I'm presuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chris Paddock did have an elite whip. That was the, 0. The 0.98. Yeah, that was the one thing he did exceptionally well last season. Um, but the, the peripheral suggests that he may not be that good or that he may need improvements. And, you know, that lack of a, of a breaking ball it, it it does stand out to me. Whereas Zach Allen, he might not have the he may not have the ceiling that Chris Paddock does. But I also you know the the comp I made when we were doing the best players for twenty 2020 twenty to twenty thirty or whatever was um, you know I could see Zach Allen becoming a Zach Granke type of pitcher where you know he has that command of all all four pitches. He can throw any of them at any time. Uh, he's a smart pitcher. And so I'm not convinced that there is that much of a difference, if there is one at all, between Zach Allen and Chris Paddock for 2020. Um, and, you know, the, the hype around Chris Paddock this time last year was based on, had he thrown like 150 career innings at that point? Uh, that? So he was very yeah. much, he was like the kind of the ultimate mystery box uh, that we've ever seen. I, I expect more curveballs this year from him. I think it'll be a pretty good pitch for him. He was um, talking it up I, during the spring. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that a rookie pitcher had peripherals that said he's not as good as a .98 whip. Um, even if he had gone out and had a 370 ERA, I'd still be pretty excited about him. He has incredible control. If he played in a, in a bad ballpark, considering he gives up a lot of fly balls, I might back off a little bit, but he doesn't play in a bad ballpark. Um so I'm fine with it. I, I love Paddock. I think he's got, I think he's got the upside to be a first round pick. You know, I think he could be the next elite starting pitcher in baseball. Yeah, I remember last year was June, July. People were talking about him being a top five pitcher in dynasty leagues for like years to come. And then, you know, everything kind of happened where he was bouncing back and forth between the minors and majors and slowed down a little bit. But I think that's expected for, uh, you know, most rookie starting pitchers. Let's move on to the next one. Would you rather have in a head-to-head points league, Shane Bieber and Josh Donaldson or Anthony Rendon and Sonny Gray? Scott, I feel like this might be a little bit of an interesting one for you. Yeah, I I love both of these pitchers, Bieber and Gray, I think better than the consensus. So it... I'm going to... I'm going to say Ren and points, especially. Yeah, points definitely makes it easy. I'm going to go Rendon and Gray. Rendon is, I mean, he has top five hitter potential in that format. And Donaldson, you know, to Roto League, it'd be closer because uh, Donaldson, Donaldson has is a high end contributor there as well. And, and, you know, the, the, the plate discipline difference, what Rendon brings to the table there, isn't rewarded the same in that format like it is in a points league. Um, but yeah, I go Rendon and Gray. 
Adam, what do you think? Bieber and Donaldson versus Rendon and Sonny Gray in a head-to-head points league. So I think that the only guy that feels like an absolute sure thing to me is Rendon, and that's why I'll take that side. Uh, I do like Bieber. I'm nervous about Gray and then Donaldson. I think he's going to be really good when he plays, but actually Donaldson has been a pretty slow starter the last few years. Shortened season could be bad for him, but um, I'm just going to take the short thing. I'm just going to take Rendon. In a Roto League, I would probably go the other way and uh, take the Bieber side, but in a points league, like Rendon could be one of the top five hitters easily in points leagues. He's so good in that format, so I'll take him. Chris, I know that you're a little bit skeptical about Shane Bieber, at least based on some conversations we've had recently. Which way do you go? Yeah, I think of this group, I'm I'm higher, I think, on Sonny Gray than even Scott might be. I think what he did last season, you know, the stuff took a really big step forward and the pitch mix especially. Uh, I think he learned a lot from his time with the Yankees that, will continue to serve him well. So on a perning basis, like I think Bieber's better, but I, I'm not sure it's that big of a gap. And you know, Anthony Rendon, especially if we're talking about head-to-head points, uh, Anthony Rendon is an elite player. You know, He probably should be a first-rounder in a head-to-head points league. So uh, this is another one that you know I think this is closer, but I'm not really agonizing it over it that much. I, I would rather have Rendon and, and Gray. I think Bieber he's very good. And when things go right for him, he can be one of the best pitchers in baseball and things went right for him last year. I just think how hard he gets hit. uh, You know, a four ERA wouldn't shock me. Yeah. And, you know, talking about how hard he does get hit, he allows a lot of hard contact um, based on the X ERA, which is from StatCast. They, they measure what your expected ERA would be uh, based on, you know, the, the level of contact that you give up. And I know that Shane Bieber's XERA was very high. It was, like, close to four. So uh, that is that is fair. That is a fair concern when it comes to Shane Bieber. Chris, I, I just want to figure out how high you would have Sonny Gray because Scott has him SP21. I have him SP23. Like, would you take him over Tyler Glass now? Uh, yeah, Chris. <laughs> I have more Sonny Gray on my teams than I do Tyler Glass. And maybe it's not fair to say I'm higher uh, on him than Scott, given, you know, where Scott has him at 21st. I am definitely like in ADP, he's going after Mike Soroka, Corey Kluber, Brandon Woodruff, Trevor Bauer, Jose Barrios. Yeah, uh, that is egregious. I would yeah. absolutely rather have him than basically any of those guys. I, I think you could make a case for Bauer on one end of the spectrum, you know, the upside is higher. And I think you can make a case for Barrios on the other end of the spectrum because he is such an innings eater and because he is so reliable. Um, but, you know, for me, Gray, the, the upside, what he showed last year, I think the type of pitcher he's become, uh, it's going to be very valuable. All right, the last ADP combo we're going to get to here. Would you rather have Marcus Semyon and Ken Giles or Roberto Osuna and Corey Seager. This one is in a Roto League. Adam, why don't you get us started? Easy one for me. Osuna and Seager. Mm. Osuna and Seager. Hmm. <sighs> Easy for me, Simeon and Giles. Oh! Never, I'm never willing to pay up for the saves guy. I mean, it would yeah. it would have to be it would have 
Like maybe if it was Josh Hader instead of Ozuna, I could, I could have a little bit of a debate. But I mean, Ozuna's not like I, I'm not super confident Ozuna's going to be better than Giles this year. And and you know what? I I can't say with all assurance Simeon's going to be better than Seager. But based on demonstrated upside so far, I mean, Simeon's Simeon has demonstrated a higher ceiling than Seager. So yeah, Simeon and Giles. If this was a points league, I think it might be closer. Uh, I do think Corey Seager is a better points league player than he is a roto player. Um, Simeon is too, though. At least yeah. if he walks and strikes out like he did last year. Yeah, I think you, you should expect some regression on both. And I think what what helps Simeon in roto that doesn't help him in points all that much is, you know, even if he does regress, you could still see a 20 homer, 15 steal pace season, which wouldn't be. You know, he wouldn't be nearly as valuable as he was last season, but I think he does have that floor in Roto that he doesn't have in points. Um, I can see a, a an outcome where he's just not usable in points. Um, and, you know, being Roto, like I'm not sure Ken Giles will be worse than Roberto Ozuna on a per inning basis. Saves are obviously super valuable in Roto, but, uh, you know, I think they're more valuable in points given that you get that, you know, seven yeah. points. Uh, saves are one. In- saves are almost all that matter for a closer yeah. in a points league. When Roto, Whereas, there could be ratio help too. Like Ken Giles should have more strikeouts. Ken Giles, I think he has a decent chance of a better ERA than Roberto Ozuna. Where Ozuna stands out is the team he pitches on, and he is always elite in WHIP. Yeah. Um, yeah, like incredibly elite. Yeah, and. You know, those matter, but I think they matter more in a points league. Yeah, you pointed I, out, Chris. I suspect, I suspect that Corey Seager is a better hitter than Marcus Simeon, and we will see that this year. You pointed out, Chris, that it's entirely possible Ken Giles can have a lower ERA than Roberto Osuna. Well, he did last year. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Giles was at 1.87, and Osuna was at 2.63. The difference, again, the whip for Osuna, 0.88. And Ken Giles was at 1.00, which is not a bad mark at all. Still very good. It's very very good. good. I think Giles kind of has a bad rap for the meltdowns, especially. Yeah, he kind of gave it to Um, himself, Chris, you know. Right. And and (laughs) I'm not saying it's unfair necessarily, but, you know, when you talk about the bad version of Ken Giles, it really was like a handful of outings. I think, Adam, didn't you say... I'll I tell you right now. That was in 2018. Yeah. He was just always bad in, in non-save appearances, right? In 2018, he had a 0.35 ERA in save situations. In non-save situations, he had a 9.12 ERA. So they, I think they figured out, let's just use him in, in save situations. And I, Ken Giles is really good. I just, yeah. I'm very hesitant to buy into a 28-year-old breakout season for Marcus Simeon, who had been barely rosterable. That's fair. In my opinion. So I'm just, you know, I, and I, and Ozuna is, Ozuna's Safe. uh, the safest. He yeah. might be the safest closer in baseball, considering, yeah. uh, maybe Yates, but considering that Yates we could don't get know, traded. Yeah. I, I don't know about trades this year. I, that's uh, in a normal year. Yeah. I don't know what's yeah, going to be sure. like this year, but, but yeah, you're right. Um, Ozuna might be the safest closer in baseball. Adam, would you rank Seeger ahead of Simeon if you just had straight up? Like straight up in the rankings. If you had rankings, would you Adam you Adam as your lawyer, you don't have to answer that. You don't have <laughs> rankings. I would, yeah. I would. Okay. So that makes it easy to understand why you take the Osuna Seeger side. Yeah. I would it take uh, like back to back. I, yeah. I would take the Osuna and Seeger side too. It's very close, but 
Now, I one have thing, that same thing written down right here, Adam, that you just said. Osuna may be the safest closer in fantasy. One thing we didn't mention with Ken Giles, we were go. talking him up a lot and kind of downplaying some of the more high-profile concerns. It should be noted that at like three different times last season, it seemed like he was about to have Tommy John surgery. You know, there, there were all the – I think he had like two – there were a couple times he didn't go on the I.L., but they were like, yeah, he can't throw right now. He's got an elbow strain, and it never got to that point. But he could be someone who, you know, the first game of the season, like, you know, needs Tommy John surgery. And I do like Ken Giles a lot, too. I have him ranked as my sixth closer, so. Can um, I talk about something real quick? Because I've been thinking about this for the last what do you got, five Adam? minutes. The whole bets, Cole, the, the whole bets, <laughs> Castillo, Cole, Meadows thing. I feel like maybe the reason why I would take the Cole Meadows side over Betts Castillo, even though I individually might take Betts and Castillo ahead of the other two, is because if I take Betts over Cole, I still have an opportunity in the next round or the round after that to ha- to get a starting pitcher that I feel is not Garrett Cole, but a more like safe ace than Castillo, who I do love. But when my when I'm only talking about these two players and not within the context of the rest of my team, yeah, like then I'm gonna favor Garrett Cole because he gives me that security blanket. But if I could take bets in round one and then maybe get Jack Flaherty in round two, you know, then I feel a little bit more secure about. It. Does that make sense? That's a good it point, does. and that's kind of the same point I was making talking about Real Muto and Garver. Is this exercise it guarantees you get that second player when in the process of a draft you can't assume that's actually going to be an option for you when that pick comes up. So if you're particularly high on Meadows or you're particularly high on Garver, in my case, and you could say, okay, if I knew I was going to get him, then I would go ahead and take the ace pitcher here in round one. But obviously in a draft scenario or an auction scenario or whatever, you don't know that. That's, that's ultimately what made me go with Cole. It's just that, that historical data that shows that those fourth-round hitters have been better investments than the pitchers. It, it just... You know, outside of that, if you can get that ace, I think it's worth it if the next, you know, even if it's not Austin Meadows, even if it's just someone else in that range, I don't have it pulled up, but I'm sure that there are several fine hitters. Aaron in Judge. The Austin Meadows. MVP. Yeah, I mean, Judge. Jordan Alvarez, Cattell Marte, George Springer, Charlie Blackman, all those guys could go in that range with Austin Meadows. Any of the, pick any one of those guys. And I would rather have Cole plus them than uh, Betts plus, you know, even, you know, well, okay. The next pitcher going off the board after. It's Corbin. Uh, well, the next two pitchers going after the, sorry. Castillo's ADP is 43.6 right now. The uh-huh. next two pitchers are Aaron Nola, who I'm not sure I'd rather have than Castillo. I think that was kind of iffy, but then there's the, the pitcher trump card. Chuck, Chuck, had, Chucky Morton. If you had made it Charlie Morton and that's Morton. That one would have been that definitely would have been a tougher decision for me. As or as Frank would say, Morton. 
Morton. Morton. You got to pronounce the T, guys. All right, let's take a quick break. First, I do want to remind everyone to sign up for our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter, cbssports.com slash newsletter slash fantasy baseball today. Uh, it gets emailed to your inbox. You get our latest articles, draft results. Uh, we'll start throwing some of our YouTube stuff in there so you can subscribe to the channel there as well. So make sure you sign up for our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. All right, when we come back, we will talk about some of Scott's top 100 starting pitcher ranks in dynasty leagues. We'll do that right here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. All right, we're back here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Some of Scott White's positional dynasty ranks. I know, Scott, you're working hard on these rankings, and you have your top 100 starting pitchers that are now published on CBSSports.com. And I found it very interesting. What I like most about what you did is that you have this point system that you set up where you basically give a 1 through 5 point value based on present value for a pitcher, their future value, and your confidence rating in mm-hmm. said pitcher. So just give everyone kind of um, a look behind the, what would, I don't even know what I'm saying, look behind, uh, peel back behind the curtain, curtain. Yeah. and let yeah. them know uh, behind, about your process in doing this. Do you just rank them based on, you know, adding all those points up and whoever has the most, you rank the highest? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pro. I mean, it's not a super scientific process. Obviously, all of those ratings are just my perception of things, but it helps keep me honest, and it 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 gives it gives something interesting to look at, something else to debate beyond just the pure ranking itself. Uh, but yeah, I add those three numbers up: present value, future value, which is both what his peak looks like and how much peak he has left. So it's you know kind of cramming two ideas into there, but I didn't think it made sense to make a fourth category necessarily uh, so present value future value and confidence rating i add them up and they're basically ranked by what that ends up being now there ends up being a lot more that add up to like seven and eight than add up to 11 and 12 so certainly once you get to the back half of the top 100 here there's a lot of behind the scenes uh um you know, a lot of subjectivity that's coming into play. That's not even showing up in those three ratings because they're all tied. And to a degree, I elevate the younger guy when they're tied, but even that's not, you know, universally true. So, yeah, it's it, it keeps me honest, and it it just makes for a lot more to discuss. I think. 
So let's take a closer look at the top 20. Again, you can find the whole list of 100 uh, at CBSSports.com. But the top 20 and working you know, towards, towards number one. Number 20, you have Zach Gallen, then Mackenzie Gore, Jesus Lozardo, Shohei Otani, Jose Barrios. That is 20 through 16. Anything stand out to anybody there? You know what I'm going to say. Zach Allen's too low. Too low. I don't, I, I don't see how he's a, a three present value. Okay. Um, like that, I, like nothing, nothing against you, Scott. No, that's fine. <laughs> You're very would, it, would it help? Would it help knowing Jack Flaherty's a four present value? So this is kind of, this is the problem with any, uh, sequential or uh, there's a term for numbers that I can't think of, but anytime you're just doing things one, two, three, four, five, uh, there's a lack of nuance in there. Like you might believe he's more like a 3.4. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like that, cause like the three kind of suggests, I, I guess I don't, what's the scale? Like is three. Three is, ba- three is must start. Probably no three is pretty high. Um, three is probably you. I would expect them to start every week for your team this year. Yeah, because two is like... two is they're going to be contributing this year, but I can't for sure say they're going to make a fantasy impact. And then one is they're probably not contributing this year. Five, See, look... five is reserved for just Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller, Shane Bieber, Jacob Degrom, yeah. Mike Clevenger. And those are the only ones. Uh, no, wait, not true. Some older Verlander, guys. Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer five, Justin right? Verlander. Uh, that's it. Those are the only ones who get a five for present value. So three's pretty good in yeah, that context. The, the thing I struggle with is some other threes are like Jake Odorizzi, David Price, uh, and present value. Mike Fultonevich, Shaman I. I just think for the most part, there's a pretty significant gap in my eyes on Zach yeah. Allen. And, and so... Well, you got to look at confidence rating too. Zach Gallen has a much higher confidence rating yeah, than those guys. Right. But I just mean, you know, the present value is a separate category. And I guess I think he, he should be, he should have more okay. value currently than those guys. But I understand, yeah. um, you know, that given the system is what it is, it, it's sort of like a three makes sense. Okay. I think uh, from if I was going to pick one thing apart here, you have Gowan 20 of Mackenzie Gore 19. If we don't know that Mackenzie Gore is going to pitch this year, you know, maybe he will. We don't know how much impact he'll have. Odds are he won't be a huge fantasy contributor. Why not put Luis Severino there? Because Severino is like 31, I think. Um, you know, so why? <laughs> yeah, well, why not that- Severino over, over Mackenzie Gore in dynasty rankings? Well, he's, he has to come back from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I know, but but mm-hmm. we're not we're comparing him to a player that's that might make little to no impact this year anyway in Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, um, maybe it's maybe the question is why is Gore this high? I think a like for sure Severino's not going to contribute this year. Gore might. Yeah. B. I'm not totally sure 
I mean, I'm not totally sure of Gore's ceiling either, but I, I'm not really sure who Severino is going to be when he gets back. I, I don't know that he's going to be Cy Young level good because, you know, he started to fade his last year and maybe some of that was attributable to the the elbow. Uh, but he really the struggled there. It. Yeah, he really struggled there toward the end, toward, in that half season. Um, so I don't really know. On the other uh, hand. Part of it. Go ahead, Chris. We've never seen Mackenzie Gore throw. Right. The amount of innings that could potentially lead to a second half fade. And part of it's kind of the same process I use in, in my season rankings. I've done enough dynasty startup mocks to know Gore goes well ahead of Severino. So if I put Severino ahead of Gore, I'm telling somebody to reach for Severino. I'm telling somebody not to even make an attempt for Gore at that point. So it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of playing to the result a little bit, but I don't okay. think in a way that's, I think in a way that's beneficial rather than harmful. The rest of the 20 through 11 crew from 15 on, you have Mike Soroka, Tyler Glasnow, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Blake Snell. I would say the name that stands out here is Mike Soroka, but I appreciate that you're remaining consistent, Scott, because when we did the projecting the all-decade team for you know the 2020s, you had Mike Soroka in the mix. So you are clearly you know, very excited about him in Dynasty League. So it makes sense to rank him this high. I mean, he's a 22-year-old who was in the running for Cy Young. And I understand, I understand just looking at the raw numbers as you put limits on his upside because the strikeouts weren't there. Uh, and I'm not in these rankings even really giving him credit for having strikeout upside which I mention every time we talk about him, but uh, I, I just think if you're if you're if you're if you look at how stable he was throughout his minor league career, and you look at how stable he's been so far as a major leaguer, and he's doing that, he did that to this point as a 21 year old, like always so young for his level, no matter what it was, and he just gets outs with that consistency, and you know, elite ground ball rate, elite walk rate. I, I don't know why. I don't know why from a long-term perspective you would be down on him. I get it more from, uh, you know, a, a single season perspective. Like I just want these higher up side guys instead, but in dynasty you're, you're, you're planning for the long haul of course. And, and he just seems to have such a stable profile and a stable track record that, yeah, I, just, I think everybody should be excited about him in dynasty. He does have some history of like a shoulder Injury, right? Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, he has. But do you? Uh, how much do you fact, factor that in? It. I think it'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't have a history of something. Yep. Uh, look at one um, spot ahead of him, Tyler Glass now, right? So. Well, yeah. I was yeah, I was gonna say like you'd really rather have Mike Soroka in a dynasty league than Jesus Lazardo, and then it's like, oh yeah, that guy has like literally never been able to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So. All fair points. Um, let's move on to the top 10. Name we already mentioned today multiple times. Chris Paddock at number 10. Aaron Nola. Luis Castillo. Lucas Giolito. Mike Clevenger. Jacob DeGrom at 5. Jack Flaherty at 4. Shane Bieber at 3. Walker Bueller at 2. Garrett Cole is number 1. I know Jacob DeGrom is 32 years old. Does he deserve to be, you know, at the back end of the top five. Well, isn't Garrett Cole 31? He's 29. Oh, he's 29? Okay, that's yeah. a big difference then. Yeah, big difference. 
It's uh, aging curves are changing for elite pitchers. This is something I saw Jeff Zimmerman talking about on Twitter yesterday, uh, or maybe the day before. Um, but ace pitchers are staying good later into their careers and are peaking later in, into their careers than they have in the past, which is interesting because it feels like we do see more pitchers peak early as well. So it's kind of hard to square those two things. And it, it might be something that, you know, I, I want to do some more research on, but you know, it's becoming less uncommon for guys to stay really, really great into their mid thirties. They're changing their pitch mixes early, earlier in their careers to be more breaking ball heavy, which is, you know, the way pitchers usually stave off the loss of fastball velocity, but you know, with the prevalence of driveline and their kind of related, um, you know, approaches to training, pitching and training specifically for velocity. You know, we're seeing more pitchers I and mean, basically every pitcher now is training for velocity in a way that they weren't in the past. And so you're also seeing less drop-offs in velocity with age. And so, yeah, I, I think he could be higher. It, you have to consider that the three guys between him and Cole are, 24, 25, and 25. Yeah. And then you have this 32-year-old. I mean, that's a huge difference. Like, I I could understand if you weren't if you weren't confident in Bieber or Flaherty actually being as good as they showed last year, why you might rank them behind DeGrom. But if you're wrong about that, you're giving up a lot of years of productivity there. So yeah. I I I, I don't really like Bueller. Nobody seems to have the same doubts about Bueller as they do about Bieber and Flaherty. So yeah. I think, I think Bueller's pretty secure there at number two. If you, if not, if you're not putting him number one ahead of Cole, I could, I could see somebody wanting to do that. Let, yeah. me, let me have a, a half baked thought that's floating around in my head right now. This is always makes me sound smart, but let's talk about this. How many pitchers, regardless of age, have more than five great years? I mean, I feel like it's Hall of Famers. You know, it's Kershaw, it's Scherzer, it's Verlander. So even if if Bueller goes on a straight, if Bueller's great, you know, he might just be great earlier in his career, but for the same amount of years as Jacob Degrom. Yeah, he ha- he basically for for him to be like great for the next ten years, that is so hard for a starting pitcher to do. You you more or less have to be one of the best pitchers in baseball history. Like you have yeah. to be a legend. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much age matters. Well, again, half big thought. You kind of overstated it there because I mean, there's also Felix Hernandez, uh, Hall of Fame. No, probably not. He Cole Hamels, John Lester. <laughs> I mean, Madison Bumgarner at this point doesn't look like he's on like, a Hall of like Fame Lester, track, and he said Lester's interesting. If you got a John Lester like career from Shane Bieber, do you think he would? deserve to be ahead of DeGrom third because Lester has been great, but he hasn't been Scherzer Verlander, you know, he hasn't been that good. I mean, Lester, Lester's had a lot going there. There have been several years. I mean, Lester's had a long career. There were several years there where we were drafting him about as high as we, uh, at least among starting pitchers. I mean, starting pitchers as a whole have moved up. So DeGrom goes in round one in most leagues. Lester's never been a round one type pick, but usually round one, there would only be one pitcher, you know? 
So there, there have been years where Lester was like the round two, round three guy, uh, similarly yeah. ranked among starting pitchers. So, yeah, I mean, we've it's it's easy to lose perspective like that. I think, I think, I I think there's truth to what you're saying, and my con- the confidence ranking for these pitchers it it goes down precipitously. Like there's a lot of twos and ones at the end in the back half of these rankings. I think they're probably all twos and ones in the back half in terms of confidence on a one to five scale. But there are going to be pitchers who are the next version of all these ones that we're seeing now, the DeGroms and Coles and Scherzers. There, there are going to be the next ones. And I think Bueller and Flaherty would be most people's top choices to be that now. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I put Bieber up there with them. He's the same age. I think just because of his style of pitching, people tend to think of him as older than Bueller and Flaherty, but he's not. He's the same age as he's right in between them, actually, in terms of when his birthday is. Um, so, yeah, I put all three of those there. And and I think they, among the pitchers we, among what we know about all the pitchers in baseball right now, I think they're the three with the best chance of having long and productive Hall of Fame type careers. Here's the larger question I would ask, and I want to present the question to the group. When you're thinking about dynasty value, let's say you have 100 points, percents even, as you might call them, how much of that would be taken up by their first year value? Like how much of what you expect in 2020 would you wait when you're looking, let's say, you know, in the future, we can go as far as you want. That's a good I'm question. That's probably like, that should be 50% or more. That's what I was going to say. Wait, especially pitchers. I don't, I, say 50. I don't think it's that high for me. I, I it just might, it might depend on the setup of the league. Um, and, and, you know, I, I tend to think of this in the context of my own dynasty league, which is the one I, spend the most time thinking about and that's one where as young players are promoted they're they're basically free to keep and then they start out really cheap to keep so you know there's a relative keeper value there and and maybe that influences my answer but i would say it's only like 25 percent at most 33 percent emphasizing this year versus what i expect their whole future to be and that's per pitcher that you draft because for me I think it becomes like the sum of the parts. So it's going to change. By by the end, I think I want it to be, Chris, like 50%. So I want to have some pitchers that are going to help me now, and then I want to have some pitchers that are going to help me in the future. And then maybe even like one or two in between that I think can you know contribute now. But I wouldn't be... I did a dynasty startup not too long ago, and I drafted, I think on back-to-back picks, it was like the 4-5 or five turn. I took Luis uh, Julio Urias, and I took Justin Verlander. So I took someone that I think can help me now and for the future, and I took Verlander, who I think can help me now. So it's he, it's really just the sum of my entire pitching staff that I want to be kind of all over the place, if that makes sense. Here's here's a kind of fun exercise. Uh, I found 2017, 2017 dynasty rankings for uh, from ESPN. Not trying to point, just saying this is number this one pitcher. Yeah, number one pitcher, this is the first one I found. Number one pitcher is Clayton Kershaw. Number two pitcher is Chris Sale. Madison Bumgarner is number three. Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber, Carlos Martinez, Steven Strasburg, 
Noah Syndergaard, Lance McCullers, Chris Archer. And like yeah. three years is a long time in fantasy baseball, but that kind of shows how heavily weighted towards the fu- the the immediate future you should be. I'm not sure. Again, maybe like everybody has a different strategy, but I don't, especially with pitchers, I don't know if you should care about 2023 when you're drafting for 2020. I take DeGrom third in conclusion. Well, but Bueller. what are we actually talking about? Because DeGrom goes what? Ninth, 10th? Bueller, Bieber, and Flaherty go in the middle of round two. It's it's not like you're neglecting this year by taking them. They go just a little bit after DeGrom and redraft leagues, and they potentially no. have a much... They are they are going a little bit after, but they're not close. Like an actual value. Like DeGrom is a lot better than those guys. Yeah. If it were a full season, I would take DeGrom top five. And I did that in one of our mock drafts. Yeah. Like I, mean, I, I think like they are, they're relatively close in ADP, but that, it, you know, that difference here is huge. Yeah. Like that's a huge difference in tier. It's like Garrett Cole DeGrom. And then I would say like a pretty, Substantial but, drop and at least confidence. But Scott's that. But he's Scott's not taking Chris Paddock ahead of Jacob Degrom. You know, he's, no, he's taking know. guys who are in the next tier. Right. I get I'm it. Just, I would still take Degrom because he's thirty-two. Scherzer and Verlander in their mid-thirties, and they're still as good yeah. as they've ever been. So if you told me that Degrom has three more years of being amazing, I'm just I can't look that much farther into the future than yeah, three years. Exactly. So I, I'll take Degrom third. I'll take Bueller ahead of him. Yeah, that's, but you can't even assume that for Degrom. I mean, you can't, can't assume, assume that he's for anyone. Be an you can't assume pitcher that, you for can't 30, assume, at 35. But, I, mean, I, I feel I feel more confident in a 28 year old being dominant still than a 35. I'm not sure you should. Yeah, based uh, that, on that's based my, on what we see now, I'm not sure you should. And especially the fact that Degrom doesn't have a lot of a lot of innings. How many know, How 20s. many 35 year olds are are great? Verlander, Scherzer, Morton, Granky. That's about it. How many 32-year-olds are great? How many 24-year-olds are great? That's the well, well, no, but that's my thing is if you make it to 32 as you know, arguably the best pitcher in baseball, your chances of being very very good in 35 at 35 are so much like it, it it's just it's that's kind of the survivorship bias. Like pitcher when I said earlier, you know, ace pitchers are aging better than they have in the past. That does not apply to the whole group. Like you cannot just say if you have a 29 year old who's pretty good, he'll likely be pretty good at 32. Like those guys are still dropping off. It's the guys who prove they can hold up to the workloads, prove they can be elite. You know, every year when the when the league sees them over and over, those are the guys who age well. And so, you know, yeah, for me, I don't know. Degrom has passed all those barriers. There's no question. <laughs> Hi, David. I mean, Bowie. we're. <laughs> it doesn't appear that Kluber is aging well. It doesn't appear that Price is aging well. Right, it's, but Kluber... It's evident Lester and Hamels didn't age well. Felix Hernandez. I mean, you could find tons of examples of I guys mean, who... Kluber was great in 2017 as a 31-year-old. He was great in 2018 right. as a 32-year-old. And then he got hit on an, on the elbow by a line drive. Like, that's... Uh, we don't okay, know but, if Corey Kluber's aging well. Yeah, and he still might be good this year. That Like, we don't know. I think the, I think the common presumption, though, is that he's not. Yeah, I think Kluber is a point for Scott. I, uh, yeah, I just... That's, that's, again, that's putting a lot of weight on six starts. Like, that's the entire argument, is six starts. Because Corey Kluber was not a second-round... Corey Kluber was a second-round pick last year. Like I didn't just, like I didn't like him in 2019 because I I thought I felt like he was he was starting to crack a little bit toward the end of 2018. That's fine. 
but the consensus was wrong. Was that he was a second round or third round? Pick. Yeah. And then yeah. he had six bad starts, got hit on the on the elbow by a line drive, and all of a sudden the consensus is he's aging poorly. That doesn't add up. Uh, did you even say Chris Sale? Because I mean Chris Sale. Right, Chris Sale. But, but for Chris Sale, there's Severino too. You know, I mean, yeah. Guy, like that, I guess the it's hard to predict three, four years out for any pitcher. Right, and that's I don't yeah. think Degrom is is going to fade. So and and I know he's good. I. I don't know that Jack Flaherty and Shane Bieber are great. Like I'm pretty sure on Bueller and I'm really, I, you know, I love Flaherty, but like the Grom, there's no question. So yeah. I'd take him third, but we're, you know, yeah. we're projecting three years out on a guy in Walker Bueller or not. Walker Bueller's had two good years. We're comparing, we're projecting three years out on a guy in Jack Flaherty. Who's had half a good, a great season and half of a not very good one. And then he was, you know, Pretty good in 2018, but certainly not elite. I mean, he uh, wasn't ace level, but he was must own in 2018. So right, I, I think that was as was, much. I think he was ace level. I I know I say this a lot, but he had a 286 ERA, 100, 168 strikeouts, and 138 and a third in his first 25 starts. He got crushed in his last three starts and ended up with a 334 ERA. That that is why I love Flaherty because I think he's been. 286 for 25 starts and then 275 ERA the next year for a full season. But he was crap yeah, for the first half of the season. But no, no, no. Adam, Adam, that's if why... you're going to do that exercise for his 2018, you got to do it for his 2019. Okay, fine. Where he was last, not good for half the last three starts of his 2019. I bet no, he's no, 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 that's not what I mean. Year. You can't just say he had a, you can't just but say he had a That's why two... I'm taking Cole. That's why I'm taking DeGrom ahead of him. Cause you're right. He's not as certain as, yeah. as Walker Bueller. I'm, I'm going to buy into it. But I understand why other people would be less less certain on Flaherty. Yeah, for me, it's just it feels like putting too much weight on 2024 and beyond. And I just one baseball may have a strike in 2021, you know. <laughs> uh, but but that's kind of the further out you get, the more uncertainty there is. That for is for every p- player, for every age group. Uh, you know the the risk of injury for a 25 year old when you project out three years. The risk of like a serious injury for a 25 year old, it's probably like 50% and even, when you're looking three years into the future. But, but you know, if it's Tommy John or something, they still have a future beyond that, most likely. Well, then like, Luis Severino should be ranked higher than Mackenzie Gore. I have, I have, I have Luis Severino practically in my top 30. I don't know why you guys are nitpicking that. Like, you guys are picking weird things to pick on here, I feel like. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think 32-year-old Jacob deGrom behind 25-year-old Bueller, 25-year-old Bieber, and 24-year-old Flaherty is at all controversial. No, we're splitting hairs. Yeah, your, your list isn't controversial, so, like, I think we're just I don't know nitpicking if it's, for well, fun. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's, like, contra- controversial. I don't care. It's just, like there's just different philosophies and we're trying okay. to explain the different right, philosophies that's to the, that's fine. And for me, I just, I basically put zero weight on anything past three years. Cause there's just, you know, maybe if you want to do that for Ronald Acuna uh, and Christian Yelich and Mike Trout and those guys, but there is so much that can go wrong for a pitcher in a given season, let alone two, let alone three that I just, it, it doesn't factor in for me that at is- any age. That is fair. We didn't get and to Blake questions. Snell today. at eleven scares me because he can't. He has not shown yeah. the ability to throw hundred pitches in a start and stay healthy. All right, the end.
All right, the end. We'll just end the show there. Uh, we didn't get to your questions today. Apologies. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Go check out Scott's top 100 starting pitcher ranks. Come up with your own dilemmas, your questions, whatever you might have, philosophy conversation, and send them our way. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. For Scott, Adam, Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye.